It's time to hop on for another 99th episode. That's coming up right now. Because you, you uh, up until now, never had. <laughs> so even when I prompt you to, you're like, uh, what? I don't care. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. I just go with the flow. Yeah. Uh, so I, I am Paul. Oh, yeah. I'm Sean. Sean. Yes. Yeah. And together, our powers combined. To uh, 99th <laughs> degree. <laughs> we don't quite reach 100% together. <laughs> combined, we are nearly <laughs> full might of one person. We almost have energy yeah. right now. Oh, yes, yes. Well, I've got energy. I'm fired up for no particular makes... reason. Yeah, I'm, I'm worn out today. I am three hours later than you, so it's not like I'm waking up as early as you are. Yeah, what's starting to happen now is my body is starting to adapt and change and mold itself to this schedule. I actually woke up about 10 or 15 minutes before my alarm went off. And my alarm goes off at 5.30 in the morning on the weekend to record these episodes. Wild. Same thing happened yesterday. I didn't even set an alarm, but still, I was up at 5.30. Just woke up. You're you're just a morning person. I really am, actually. Like, I find that there's not a lot I can get done very well in the evenings, unless it's a very simple, like, repetitive, menial kind of task. Like, when I try to read in the evening, it just puts me to sleep. If I start reading a book anytime after 8 o'clock, I will very quickly become incredibly sleepy. And it has to be something like watching TV or sorting action figures or sorting comics or something like that. That's kind of the only thing I can do that will keep me awake later in the evening. But I wake up at five o'clock and I'm like rip roaring ready to go. I'm kind of better off that way, too. It's like I got to do stuff earlier now. And I think naturally I'm more of a night person, but I happen to get up early so often your body does start to adapt. And I think some people like they can't help it. They're one way or the other. And like they can't adjust because they're just like their natural rhythms are so deeply that way. But I I get up for work by like usually six at the latest every day. And I've been opening more lately. So I've been getting up at like four and I'm waking up before my alarm, like almost all the time now, like even opening, I'm waking up like uh, my first alarm goes off at four and I'll wake up at like, 345 and mm. stuff like that and I'm one, I'm just one of those adjustable types like I moved from the desert to Maine and I'm like yeah whatever hot cold I'll just get used to it <laughs> all right night owl morning person eh, just you know I'll just adapt you're like the super adaptoid yeah you know I just I, I do what I gotta do um and it's funny because I really don't have a lot of understanding for people who complain about it doing whatever they have to do like oh it's hard to get up early or you know the way one of the ones that gets me is like well i can't function if i don't get eight hours of sleep I'm like, if you're a grown-up i don't care how little sleep you get and i understand it can make it difficult but don't complain about it you just do it yeah you know? it, it does make it difficult i will i will say that like when i'm functioning on less than optimal sleep multiple days in a row I feel it big time. Oh yeah, multiple days. I mean, especially getting older. Like I'm, I'm 37, and oh, oh, 37, Paul. That my my point of saying that is you're much older than me. Uh, <laughs> yes, thank you. I'm, thank I'm you 37, for so I'm like I, I'm kind of in that. You know, I'm 
I'm getting older than being young enough to where nothing affects me, and but I'm not like as old as you know me. some people like you. Yeah. Um, that <laughs> like as you get older, it gets it gets to be a stronger effect. But like even at you know 37, like I'm at the point where a few days of lack of sleep and I, I run out of energy. You know, I definitely wear down by it. Uh, and you know, I look back now to when I was younger and could do more, and realize that uh, I I should have. Uh, strives for more of a balance then because it gets hard when you learn to have no balance and then you get older and you're like why am i dying now Mm, yeah well get off my lawn this has been our old man hour (laughs) of this podcast have you been doing anything interesting lately paul it's funny because i was trying to get to the point of uh, as far as like being able to stay focused on something in the evening if something is really, really engaging, like if I can't stop reading something in the evening, that is a tremendous sign. And there is something just recently Ooh. that has uh, has hit that. Something powerful enough to put aside the overwhelming might of our growing age. Yeah, exactly. And what could, what could possibly do this? I, I can't think of a thing. So I was reading, uh, well, a friend of mine tweeted a picture of a, a variant cover for a comic. And I asked, what is that? And he says, oh, it's a variant. And I said, no, what is the comic? And he didn't answer. No. But somebody else did. <laughs> so right. then I, I went on to uh, to Hoopla, which I've mentioned before. It's a, a service through your library, if your library offers it. And it's pretty awesome how much access you can get to stuff through this sometimes. So the, this comic series called Something is Killing the Children, which I had heard about for a while, but just... You know, I, you know me. I don't go out of my way to to just like dive into every new comic. I'll kind of get to it when I feel like it. So I, I've heard about this. So it was kind of like on on the edge of my radar, and then I saw this variant cover. And I was like, "Oh, that looks interesting." And then somebody said what it was, and uh, and so I checked it out, and it was on Hoopla. So I was able to start reading it, and I read the first two trades the day I started reading it. Whoa. Okay. Well, that's uh, yeah promising. That's you. Yeah. You know from me that that is uh, that that is a, a big that's saying a lot yeah. for me to to read ten issues and I probably could have even read a little bit more except it was starting to get kind of late. Cool. I've heard about this series. It's one that has been floated around by friends and stuff as something like, oh, I'm reading this and it's really good. That sort of thing. Yeah, it's it's one of those that's compelling to make you you really want to see what happens next. And there, so I think the fifteenth issue just came out. I've read the first ten. the The art is also interesting to me, which is a big part of it. So it's written by James Tinian. Uh, the art the is fourth. Uh, the fourth. Yes, yes. Uh, the art is. I I figured people would figure out which James Tinian it was by it being the one that writes comics. But you know, I guess it's good to clarify. Yes. Um, <laughs> Werther Deladera is the artist. And Mikel Muerto is, I'm assuming, the colorist. Um, it's This is just on the, the cover of the comic, so it's not like actually saying what they do. And I don't want to go through the comic and find the uh, the page that actually says what each person's role is, because I haven't read this issue yet. So I don't want to spoil it. But yeah, it's, uh, it's uh, a horror comic. It's about some mysterious thing killing children. Um, and it's, it's a monster killing children. And... The thing is that you have to, like, have some level of belief to be able to see the monster. So, like, kids can see the monsters, 
because even if they don't specifically believe in that monster, like they have that, you know, like, what was that noise? Like fear that there must be something creepy there. For adults to see it, they have to be kind of like awakened to it in some way. You know, essentially the story starts out, something is killing the children. But is it real no matter what? Like, can adults be affected by it even if they can't see it or believe in it? Yeah, and uh, okay. as as you read through it, it's like as I got towards the end of this, the first ten issues, uh, there is a scene where the monster or monsters start killing people. And it's crazy because when you see it from the perspective of adults, like bodies are getting lifted up and ripped in half and there's nothing there doing it. They don't see it. Ooh, but the children see it. Yeah, it's 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 really well done. Like it's So what is compelling about it be beyond just the premise? Because that sounds like the type of thing that it's it's all an execution. Right? Because that could be either really good or just kinda meh. Yeah, and I, I mean, what makes it interesting, what makes it compelling is that they keep a level of mystery to it. So if you just dump out everything that's going on at the beginning, then it's just seeing the actions play out. The woman who comes to town to help is mysterious. Then as it goes on in the book, you get these little details revealed. She's part of this order that is, like, trying to keep this balance and, like, fight the monsters, but also, like, keep all this stuff kind of secret because people just can't handle the reality of it. Uh, so there's like some you know different levels of intrigue there. It's always awesome to uh, you know to to watch a movie, read a book, whatever about somebody who's like a badass at executing what they do, right? Sure. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of like this this woman, like she's she's there to to you know tear stuff up and is good at what she does. You know, it's kind of like Wolverine going and doing something. You know, I'm I'm the best at what I do, and what I do isn't very nice. Yeah. And she's also kind of against the order that she's a part of because she knows there's a bunch of basically like political BS there. And like she just wants to save people. Yeah, I mean, there's just kind of all those layers of stuff where it's like uh, the mystery. There's always enough mystery that it keeps on being like you want to know what was happening next. And even when they unveil a little bit more of a piece of it, there's there's more there and there's more there. And, you know, it keeps you wanting to find out more about it. And a lot of times with, with books that are like that, where it's like, you know, what's kind of the next surprise? What's the next thing that's going to be revealed? Once you read it once, it's kind of, you know, it's not going to be the same for a second read. Mm-hmm. I have a feeling with this one, just with the way everything is executed, that I, I like this is something I could probably reread. Once again, that is also saying a lot for me, for me to be like, I kind of want to go through this again while I'm still reading it the first time. Okay, cool. You know, I'm not much of a rereader. Yeah, definitely not. Yeah, so anyways, I definitely recommend it. Okay. It took me a while to get around to it, but that just means that there's, you know, it's just like everybody, uh, you know, being pissy about having to wait a week to watch an episode of WandaVision. <laughs> everybody, everybody just wants it now to binge. I'm kind of like that with comics. If the, the story, if I have to wait monthly for a story to come out, there's a good chance that I just drift off and don't remember what's going on, so... Kind of works for me to, to jump in towards the, I think this is the end of what they're putting out for now at least, but I saw somebody say that uh, that there's supposed to be more coming because it was successful. Cool. Okay. So does that mean this these first like 
15 or so issues are meant to be sort of a complete volume? I think so. Okay. This is all from going from what people have said, not from like me finding any actual sources. But I think it was actually originally supposed to be a shorter run, and it did so well that they extended it. I know the 15th issue just came out, um, and so I have five issues to read. And then somebody else mentioned uh, that, oh, it's supposed to be coming back soon. So I'm assuming just, you know, based off reading between the lines that originally it was supposed to be a shorter run. They extended it. This is the end of what they have planned for now. But once again, it was successful enough that they're like discussing then kind of the next phase of it. Hmm. Interesting. I wonder if it's just a chance for the artist to catch up too, because I know Saga did that when it was coming out. It would publish an arc or two and then it would go on hiatus. And it was a, yeah, and- a planned hiatus, not just because a, oh, well, we didn't know what else we were going to do. It was more of, we need the time to kind of regroup and get back on schedule and stuff. So in order to make the books come out monthly for the period they are coming out monthly, we also need this hiatus. Yeah, and it's, it's so much better of a way to do it with uh, stories like these. Um, like while I was reading this, after however many issues, I like rather than thinking like, "Ooh, I want this to go on forever." Like my thought is, I hope they end this when it needs to end because it's, it's definitely the kind of thing that if you let it keep going too long, you know, stories aren't made to be told forever. So if you have a concise uh, Paul, story, like yeah, what with that, I would rebut and say, "Have you ever heard of something called the never-ending story?" Yeah, and that movie did not. Never uh, end. <clears throat> there was an end to it. But it's called the. It's the never ending story, Paul. Yeah, and have you seen the, in the never ending story too? Was not as good. <laughs> I don't remember if I did. I probably did because I was a kid. <laughs> but <laughs> yeah, know, you're just yeah. proving my point here. But I assume it never ended. I assume they well, yeah. went three, four, five, six, and I just haven't been paying attention. This is all just some psychological BS on their part. They're convincing you it's never ending. (laughs) But, you know, I'm sorry, but because we're on this tangent, I was actually a bit confused by this as a kid because I I think I actually did ask the question, like, wait, does it have an ending? I'm I'm really confused because it's called the never ending story, yet it seems to have an end. So what's going on here? <laughs> because I didn't quite understand that sometimes people just call stuff stuff without it having any actual meaning. So that was one of my exactly. early lessons in that. <laughs> but I'm sorry, back to something is killing the children. So anyways, what I was saying is is stories can't be never ending. Like comics that are ongoing indefinitely, the stories come like the stories end and new stories start and there's this kind of like overlap you know and and everything threads together so it's it they try to if it's done well it's interwoven to where you're not just like here's a story and then here's the next story and then here's the next story but with uh with indie comics like this you know they went into this with here's our story plan and if it's oh this is successful so now this five issues turns into 15 that could probably be done well but if the five issues turns into 50, because they just, okay, well, this is successful. Let's just keep on, like, let's not wrap up and let's just keep it going month after month after month. You get to a point where there wasn't a plan for that. And the story starts to get really just watered down and drifty. And, you know, it loses what made it so good. 
And even with comics that I've liked, this has happened. Like East of West. I really like East of West. The beginning of East of West was awesome. And then it got kind of just bland in the middle for a while, where it just it really felt like they're just coasting around. I hate to see that with a really good story, where it's like, this is really, really good. And then because it was successful, they just start like, you know, okay, well, our, our bottle of whiskey's running out, so let's just start pouring some water in there so it doesn't look like it's empty, you know? And then mm. the next thing you know, you're drinking, uh, you know, whiskey-flavored water, and it's not the same. This sounds to me like the Lost Season 3 effect. Yeah, exactly. You, you drag something on too long. Lost is a great example. I've watched Lost, and I don't remember a lot of it because I stopped caring before getting super-duper far in. That was smart. <laughs> that was very smart. It's not a story that can... Like, you can't just drag it out. Like, you have to start and get to an end and then tell another story in the same vein. But you can't just take one story and drag it out forever. If you take a pizza and you're like, okay, this pizza is made to feed five people. And then more people show up. Okay, well, we can cut the slices in half. Eventually, if more people keep showing up and you're stretching it thinner and thinner, it's not good pizza anymore. It's just it's just like, it's crap. You know, it's nothing. It's not enough of something. Like, you, you can't just stretch stuff further and further. <laughs> okay. Looking at you television shows. I think that there's always this push between, well, TV executives think, we have a hit. We want this to be 10 seasons. And the people making it are like, uh, what? <laughs> um, yeah. And so, yeah. It, it's for like the Simpsons just like got signed for like two more seasons, right? They're going doing like 33 and 34 now, which is crazy. That show's been running that long. Wow. With yeah. a cartoon, you can potentially do that because guess what? Nobody's aging. Yeah. Like they're mm-hmm. cartoons. So you can like, you can stay in the same world. You can rehash stories with, like, some kind of an update because, like, times change and you're using, like, topical whatever. I haven't watched The Simpsons in forever. I don't really have any interest to. But there are people who still like it. And if it's still successful enough to be on, like, that's impressive. But, you know, with so many other things, what it relies on to be successful is limited. Or... You know, like, actors get older and you got to be able to change. Like, so many TV series that were, you know, at least solid ended so poorly because they, they tried to stretch a little bit more out of it. One of my best examples to me of, like, how you ruin something by doing that, by trying to make it compelling once it's past its point of being compelling, is the show Mad About You. I don't even remember how good the show is because it's been so long since I watched it. I think I was, like, a, a kid when it was on, but I liked it then and i know it was like a popular show and it's about a couple that are you know a couple they're in love and stuff and it ends with them getting divorced what the hell it's a comedy why the hell would you end it with them getting divorced they're trying to make it compelling and they ruin it at the end and they like even if they, i have no idea how you know good the quality of the actual show is so i don't know if it's something i would actually want to go back and watch but that's the kind of thing where it's like that just cut it off. I'm like, I don't have any interest in ever revisiting this. If like they take the show that's supposed to be about, you know, it's a comedy show and it's supposed to be about a couple and their relationship and you end it as badly as you can end a relationship with it failing. Hmm. Like I too often like stuff gets stretched too long and you end up ruining it in the end. And, you know, so anyways, like that's a total tangent, but like reading a good story, like with this one, I'm like, 
they can have more good stories in this universe and this world and that would be awesome but i hope they don't just try to stretch out this one story and make it a longer and longer and longer thing and from what i you know see people saying i think that they that's what they're doing is they i'm assuming the 15th issue is probably the end of the story but man it'd be awesome if they have like you know something is killing the children series two and it's just in a different town or something like that. Like something not, you is know, still killing the children. <laughs> something is killing the children more. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Like a uh, Hellboy stuff. Um, BPRD. Hell on Earth. Like that went on for a long, long time. I read all of that, and it kept on being good because they would tell a story, and then they would tell a different story, and they were interconnecting. But it wasn't. We have this one story. Well, this is doing well. Let's stretch it out more and more and more so we can keep on selling this. Gotcha. Okay. So anyways, read Something is Killing the Children. All right. Well, I finished reading something that was... You okay back there with all your... That was the sound of my beverage. Oh, okay. It's ambient noise. All right. Sorry, there are ice cubes. They're clanking. They sure are. Okay. I finished reading something last night that was very good as well. Was it killing anything, though? There was killing that occurred in it. But it was more of a just kind of incidental killing that happens to go along with the usual super heroics. Uh, something is incidentally killing the children. Okay. I don't think any children were killed, though. Well, that's good. Only adults and villains, for the most part. And and some heroes, I guess, were killed in this. That's good balance. Kill everybody. Yeah, yeah. There was There was some killing of everybody going on in this. But that was... X-Men Grand Design, the Ed Pisker comic. Have you heard about this at all? Do you know what it is? I know what it is. It's one of those things where I will look at it over and over and be like, this looks like something worth looking at. And then be like, nah, I'd rather just read X-Men. It's worth looking at, especially if you've read all of the Claremont X-Men run. Uh Uh-huh. Essentially what it does is it's six oversized issues where Ed Pisker basically recounts the entire history of the X-Men. It's all of X-Men condensed into these six oversized issues. It starts with X-Men number one. It actually actually it starts a, a little bit before X-Men number one, to be honest, because it talks about uh, a little bit of what was going on with Charles Xavier and Magneto before they he started the X-Men like with the Gabby Holler and back in Israel and all of that stuff. And then it leads into starting the first team of X-Men, what happened to them, how they grew. And then eventually it gets to the all new, all different X-Men with Krakoa. And it goes through all, a lot of the really like greatest hits. Like uh, it talks about the whole Krakoa thing and dealing with, Magneto early on it eventually gets to like brood saga and all the stuff with forge and storm and mutant massacre and all all this stuff and it goes up through inferno and then to around like extinction agenda and it's really cool in that it basically is this entire thing just condensed into one short story it's basically making sense of everything that happened in the x-men into one very tight chronology when in reality when it was made it was just kind of this loose ongoing spinning unraveling thing 
you know, that, you know, it was like 15 years long or so that it, it was in the making. And so seeing it in this really condensed form is really, really cool. Awesome. Yeah. And those are available on Hoopla. So I'll be able to check those out. One of the things that is really cool about it is the art. It's printed on colored pages that resemble like the color and texture of newsprint, but they print white as a positive color. So the white on the page, instead of just being the page with a lack of ink, they actually print white ink there. And since the the paper itself is kind of a grayish tan color, the white really pops out. So they'll use the white to have like explosions or something, for instance. And it just is visually really, really cool. It uses the the format of the page and that kind of style of the page in a really, really cool way to uh, resemble older comics. But also using that white makes it like really, really kick when it needs to. And Ed Pisker's drawing is is kind of like a funky illustrator style, I think I would call him. But it's really cool, right? He's he's not like a super realistic, super high detailed rendering type of illustrator. He's he draws stuff a little with a little more like grunge to it, I would say. And man, it looks really cool. The story is neat. And it has a really interesting twist at the end that I won't really say anything about. But it does something really interesting at the end where when I finished it, I was like, well, holy crap, I didn't see that coming. And <laughs> that is really, really cool. So there's it it's, ends up being a little bit more than just a recap. It ends up having a little more oomph to it in a really cool, interesting way. Awesome. It definitely rewards people who are familiar with that entire run because it does just kind of go over some stuff very very quickly where it'll have like a caption and say and then wolverine got loose in the hellfire club and then it'll just be a panel of him like slicing up some of those hellfire goons and then it just jumps to something else right so it's very abbreviated from the actual story and it uses a lot of captions to move things along very quickly and the drawings are just these highlight moments from the individual stories so i was familiar with him he did a hip hop family tree yeah. uh, mm-hmm. which is like the history of of hip hop from like you know the very beginning i haven't read any of the x men stuff but the the storytelling method like you're saying is is pretty much exactly what he did with hip hop family tree where it's, you know, like you're basically going through this like chronology, the history of something. And it's like, well, then this happened and this happened. That That's pretty boring. But when you make it like, here's a panel, you know, and then this happened and then this happened, it's like, it's much more interesting, but it's still kind of just that, like, here's the bullet points. Like, it's not telling like this deeply, it, it really is like, it's taking the, this, you know, large volume of stuff and condensing it like that. His art style, like uh, the, the, the color choices are a big part of it, I think. And then he has this really kind of bulky design quality that is kind of like, uh, it's not like just like Kirby, but I think like he's influenced by Kirby. So you see those like, you know, like uh, one of the covers on Hip Hop Family Tree, like the hands are just like really chunky on it. And it's kind of like, uh, you know, what jumps out about Kirby's artwork, I think, first of all, is just like how, you know, bulky and chunky and stuff like that stuff is. And he has a lot of that elements in his artwork but in a very different style than kirby 
Yeah, yeah, just influenced by. Sure, um, yeah, I can got, see that. You got though. that. Yeah. You got the um, the very like kind of. I mean, like he—he's so perfect for a hip hop family tree uh, because, like, the feel of the art feels like you know the late seventies, early eighties. Like, it just feels that way. And I think that you know that that style comes out in all the X Men stuff that he did. Also, have you checked out? Um, there, they did some other Grand Design stuff. I think there's a Fantastic Four one by. Yeah. Um, shoot, I forget who did it now. Yeah, I just looked at. I'll pull it up in just a second here. No, I haven't because. X-Men is really the only one of those. Tom that, Scioli. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. The X-Men is really what I'm most interested in. And I've yeah. read all of the X-Men comics that are recapped in this thing. So it's a story that I already know. So I know what he's doing and I have that reference. So I feel like something like the Fantastic Four one would maybe be a little lost on me because I'm not as interested in the Fantastic Four and I don't really know the stories that he's recapping. So it would be just kind of like a, huh, okay, this is kind of interesting. I I wouldn't have the subjective history that helps make it really cool to appreciate that like I do with the X-Men. Yeah. I'm not fully convinced that anybody is a fan of the Fantastic Four. I think everybody just uh, that collects it collects it because it's so easy to find. That's that's the best I can tell. Hmm. <laughs> I think that there, there's one Fantastic Four fan out there raging at you. <laughs> saying, no. <laughs> we just lost one listener. It's That's interesting because I feel like Fantastic Four hasn't really been prominent in Marvel at all for a while. I think a lot of that had to do with the lackluster movies that were made. Mm-hmm. You, you know, like the last really like um, people point at the burn run a fantastic four and that seems to be one of the runs that gets the most acclaim and that was 30 years ago now 35 years ago now something like that and i can't really think of one where i'm sure there have been great runs on fantastic four i I guess there was the hickman run on fantastic four that's pretty well known as well but other than that like they are such have such a prominent place in the marvel universe in terms of the origins of the Marvel universe, but they just don't quite have the, um, the prominence now, it seems like. Yeah. They're just not really tied into anything. Like they're kind of their, their own thing, which I guess like you go back to the origins of the Marvel universe, like these different things come up, like they're all kind of their own thing for the longest time. But you know, most other stuff, I mean, like, X-Men is kind of their own thing, but, like, the whole mutant world, like, there's so much there that can work with each other that gives you lots of different dynamics without them having to be tight. Well, you know, I say that, and then I just realize that, like, they have gone head-to-head with the Avengers a bunch, which is, you know, the Avengers is tying in a lot of the other major Marvel characters. But yep. Fantastic Four is not part of the Avengers. They're not part of the x-men they occasionally you know brush paths but i wonder if just the like the dynamic of the fantastic four is a dynamic that doesn't resonate the same way with people it's a family and they're they're basically uh, an adventure family yeah and i think that it's it seems like fantastic four doesn't quite know what to do with itself in that sense that like what stories do you tell with an adventure family? It feels very like 60s, right? Like, you know, Lost in Space and yeah, stuff like uh-huh. that. And 
you don't see that stuff anymore without it just being a very throwback kind of thing that doesn't have a lot of legs on its own. And there's definitely some interesting characters. Like, I mean, The Thing is a very interesting, very dynamic character. But I think that's the problem. He's, he's the only one that's really super dynamic that doesn't have somebody else that is, like, you know, the you know an analog of them in the Marvel Universe to some extent. You know, like, you know, Johnny Storm, so he flies and can be on fire it's like there's plenty of mutants who do similar stuff so it's like x-men's kind of got that covered you know i feel like we're talking about this without really knowing too much about it though that's my fear is that i'm i'm talking about my impressions of something without having really read very much fantastic four my my the extents of what i've read in fantastic four is i've read the hickman run which was interesting but it's very hickman in how cerebral it is and how little sense it makes at times and i've read some fantastic four back in the early 2000s i read a little bit of a run when there was the volume two of fantastic four going on somewhere in there i I read some fantastic four issues and i've read some of the old stanley jack kirby stuff and that is really about it so i'm i'm you talking about Fantastic Four without really having dived into a lot of the just meat of what it is. So I I feel like I'm an outsider looking in and saying, well, this looks boring from the outside. So it's it's hard for me to know if it's also boring on the inside. That's absolutely what I'm saying is it looks boring on the outside and I don't... <laughs> sure, yeah, I, I just want to kind of put my biases out there to be in plain sight so that people understand where I'm coming from. This is the kind of thing that somebody will uh, then tweet us and be like, you should read this, which is exactly what I'm looking for in a case like this. Like, what what should I read? Um, yeah, you, know, I, you that's mentioned what like reading some in. Jack Kirby and, uh, and Stan Lee stuff. I can't read Jack Kirby and Stanley anything. Like I can't read Jack Kirby and Stanley X Men, and I I like the X Men. Like I don't like reading that style of writing. I've tried a little bit here and there, and I just like I don't want to. Like ultimately is what it comes down to. It's like, but you can look at it. Like I look at what was created. I look at the art, and you know, of course, like all this stuff was the starting point for what led up to the stuff that I do like and. There's definitely, you know, it's it's amazing. Like, it's amazing stuff, but I don't want to sit and read it. It's so tedious to me to try to sit and read that stuff. Mm-hmm. So, like, the beginning stuff, nope, that's not going to do it for me. It's like, if, if I was going to get into Fantastic Four, like, what should I read? That's what I want to know from somebody. And somebody out there has to know. I've really been interested in checking out the run by John Byrne. Because that is yeah. held up as one of the really great runs of Fantastic Four. So... I think that that may be a place to start. Yeah, that would probably be just like based off what we know, the place to to go with it. But and I assume since it's like '80s John Byrne that it's going to be very reminiscent of what he was working on in X Men, and so I imagine similar storytelling to that Byrne Claremont era of X Men in that Fantastic Four. So yeah. that may help make it a little more accessible because that storytelling may be more familiar to us. Definitely. So uh, Dr. Doom, does Dr. Doom come from Fantastic Four? Because I know he's like one of the major Fantastic Four villains, right? Yes. Fantastic so, Four issue five, I think, is the very first appearance of Dr. Doom. There you go. I love Dr. Doom. The thing is awesome. 
So you get a couple of great characters that come out of this. Minimal, right? Like, I have a Doctor Doom pop, and I have a The Thing pop. And I don't just buy random Marvel pops. I get mostly, like, I got X-Men ones. I, I get, you know, certain characters that I really like their design. So a couple of really dynamic designs there. Yeah, so, like, I'm I'm interested to to see what is what there is to see like i was joking when i with my first statement about i think people only collect it because it's so easy to find i say that because every time i dig through dollar bins so much fantastic four so much like it's so easy to get so many fantastic four books but they've also been around a long time yeah um but then like x-men you almost never see x-men before like the 90s in a dollar bin yeah when i first started collecting comics vigorously in the early 2000s dollar bins of x-men were very common i got most of my x-men collection from like it was basically that anything that wasn't claremont and burn was usually very cheap and easy to find in dollar bins and i got everything from about 145 up to 300 for a buck each Mm -hmm. and very very easily but those started to dry up and then the x-men were in the five dollar bins and then the ten dollar bins and it's just kind of gone from there it's goes with this everything seems collectible to me now it's it's kind of bizarre how much everything is just booming in value right now yeah and you know i think a big part of it is stuff that we looked at when we were younger as not having value because it was overproduced it's getting so old now that one, a lot of it has just been thrown out and, you know, disposed of. So even if it was overproduced, even if there's still a lot of it, like there's less of it than there was then, because it's just like as time goes on, more and more of it is getting destroyed. But the to find it in good condition is where I think we're starting to see a big boom in value, where something that was, you know, twenty years ago was barely worth anything in good condition. Now is worth a lot in good condition because they're just like it's hard to find it in good condition because nobody treated it with any respect. Same thing with the, the sports card market. Like all these, you know, worthless sports cards are now valuable if they're high grade because it's hard to find them high grade. And you get people with more money nowadays with, you know, since the pandemic started, like people are getting bored. So people are spending their money, you know, finding different things to spend their money on. And you're getting more money going into these collecting things and is driving up the price of everything at Mm -hmm. some point that's going to reverse course and come back down to earth to some level but i think we've kind of created a new like new categories of collecting that kind of kind of are changing things yeah i mean the the path stuff has taken this crazy uh you know i i had built up an x-men collection along with some other stuff and i sold my whole collection at one point but I saved a couple of issues and like one of them that I saved and it wasn't in the best condition, uh, but it's in decent condition. It was, uh, I want to say it's like one Oh one. It's, um, the first Phoenix. The, yeah. And it's yeah. like, you know, the other X-Men are in the water and like, it was really, I, I kept it cause I really liked the cover and I had bought it originally, I think for like 40 bucks. And when I was starting to like seriously try to fill in all those gaps, like even a, a beat to hell copy of that was going to be over a hundred dollars. Wow. So like it's just gone crazy. Yeah. Yeah. I think that I'm noticing just everything seems to be going up in value. There's a big boom right now in Magic the Gathering cards. Mm-hmm. And it, you know, stuff that used to be dollar bin fodder. I'm thinking of stuff like Darkhawk number one. 
that was a book that I used to buy. Anytime I found it in a dollar bin, I would buy it. And now it's like a $20 book raw. And a 9.8 copy is a $230, $240 book. It's uh, just very surprising to me how it, it seems like just everything is collectible. There's been this boom on Marvel trading cards from the 90s. Mm. Like boxes of Series 1 Marvel trading cards were selling for uh, four-digit numbers, which is nuts. Like I remember a year or two ago thinking, man, I'd really like to get a set of those first edition Marvel trading cards because I had the second and third edition and I looked it up on eBay and complete sense with all the hologram cards were like 40 or 50 bucks. And I was like, I don't want to spend that much <laughs> on these. And now those sets are just like going through the roof. It's really bizarre. It is really weird. And I think one thing that it's kind of reinforcing with like my own philosophy with stuff is really trying to like, give things the value it deserves. And like, I, I I tweeted the statement the other day that as I get older, I realize that I'm not all in on anything except my family. Like I, I have different interests. And it's like, you know, when you have more responsibilities, like the only way you can be all in on something is if that's the only thing that you're devoting your extra time to. Otherwise you're taking time away from other things that need it. So I don't want to be all in on anything because I want to do different things. So like, that's why like with collecting comics, I decided I'm just doing uncanny X-Men. And I've, I've been, when I see the opportunity, like, I'm not, like, aggressively trying to sell stuff, but if I see somebody interested in something I have that's not Uncanny X-Men, I'll offer them what I have, because, you know, like, I love Ninja Turtles. I'm never going to collect all of any run of the Ninja Turtles, because it's too expensive, and it, the value isn't worth it for me. You know, mm -hmm. I don't need to own all these things, I don't need to take up that space, I don't need to invest all that money in it like i'm happy having the hardcovers collecting the you know the eastman and layered original ninja turtles than having like on comiXology the stuff to fill in the gaps to where i can read the stuff i don't need everything i don't need all the comics and you know it seeing the way values of things have boomed lately um man it messes with my head in a lot of ways because i'm like man i had some of this stuff and I let it go because I didn't really care about it, and I decided to let it go, or because I needed the you know to put the money towards something that was more important. Yeah. And so you get this like sense of regret, and like I could be killing myself over. I mean, I had a a set of Kobe Bryant cards that I painstakingly collected that I sold before he died because I was just like, I don't really need this. I sold it, and I used the money for something that I wanted. That set, I don't even want to know what it would be worth now. Oh, yeah. It would I be insane bet. now. And it's just whatever. Like, I I had fun collecting it. I sold it because, like, I didn't really need it, you know? Uh-huh. And there's no reason to beat myself. And so that, that's why, like, now I'm like, I don't want to get caught up in, like, the habit of chasing any of this stuff, you know? And anything that is at all collectible right now is easy to to fall into that with because you don't know if it's going to go crazy in value so i'm just like it's about enjoying stuff like i just um a friend of mine in canada helped me get the last four issues of uncanny x-men that i needed to have the run from 94 to 544 cool and so i'm gonna get those he also helped me get a couple of the annuals that i didn't have so what i'll do now is i'll make a list of the last few annuals that i would need 
And I'm probably not going to aggressively try to collect those, but I'll keep my eye out for them. If I come across them, then, you know, I might snatch them up. Mm-hmm. I'll make a list of any of the ones that I have that are in really bad condition because a few of the comics that I have that make that run up are in really bad shape. So that way I can look to get a better copy than what I have of those, you know, the handful that are in, in really rough shape. But I'm kind of at this point now where I'm like, I might be done comic collecting, actually. Like, I don't want to start trying to collect something else, you know? I mean, maybe if I actually take the time to read all of these Uncanny X-Men comics, it's going to take me a long time to do because I... I don't, you know, plow through stuff like some people are able to. It just, you know, doesn't suit me to do it that way. So I might be done comic collecting. Like, this might be my collection. And that's it. Cool. It's kind of weird to, to think that way. Well, that's actually really nice, right? I, I feel like it's great to finish up a collection. I know when I was working on my modern G.I. Joes and trying to get all the modern versions of all the figures that were originally released from 1982 to 1986, when I got those last figures complete, it was very satisfying. It was very satisfying to think, I'm done. I am okay if I never buy any more G.I. Joes of this size and scale, (laughs) I should say. (laughs) But of those, like the four-inch modern Joes, I'm happy with what I have now. And I don't really need anything more. And anything else I get will just be more of a a nice-to-have icing on the cake. I find a great deal on it, so I want to get it type of thing. Rather than something I feel like I need to complete a collection. And, man, that's just it's a really, really good feeling. You know, one thing I thought of, because I, I have a friend that has uh, kind of helped me with collecting. Um, like, if, I've, if I buy lots, I'll offer him the ones that I didn't need because he's collecting X-Men too. And, uh, you know, try to just pass them on to him, you know, make a little bit of the money I spent back maybe like, uh, but you know, it's hard to collect when you're buying an issue here and there. Like if you could buy a lot, you end up better off. But anyway, so like I, I got a couple more and I messaged him and, and you know, he said, okay, let me know if you get any more. And then, you know, he joked, if you ever think of selling your collection, you know, kind of joking like that. But it made me think about it. Like, what would I sell? Like, if I wanted to sell this, like, what would be the, like, the threshold for I could sell this and just not care? So I joked with him, like, 1200 bucks in my collection is yours, which I think $1,200 is actually probably reasonable, um, like, if you wanted to buy a whole collection, because, like, there's enough comics that are worth uh, a larger amount to, I think, kind of close that gap pretty quickly. But even just, it's 450 comics. Mm-hmm. So, like, if you take out a big chunk for, like, the, you know, 94 that, like, I spent 140 bucks on it, but I think my copy of 94 is probably worth at least 200 because the it's in, in the shape that it's in. So, like, you know, if you like that that are big chunks, you quickly chisel that amount down, plus a chunk of the money would be for shipping because that's a hell of a lot of comic books to ship. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was thinking about it. I was like, you know, if, like, what would be the threshold where if somebody offered me X amount of money, I would just be like, okay, cool, walk away from it altogether. I like I came on that number because uh, it would be enough of the value back on, on what I spent to make the collection, but it would also be something that would be substantial in helping me do something else because selling it just to have nothing to show for afterwards, I, I there would have to be a reason for it. So that would give me enough money to either um, my wife wants a, a printing press. That would be enough money to pay for half of it, which would make it reasonable to, to like figure out how to pay for the rest of it. 
The other thing mm-hmm. is that would be enough money to kickstart me going back to school. So that that would be um, like a big chunk of that to where like I could come up with the rest of the money and get that going. So it, it was just funny to me to think of it like from that perspective. Like uh, this is something that I've been like building and seeking to do. But what's the threshold? And it's really not just about the money, but like the threshold is like how like what would it take for me to shift something that matters in a big way? I don't know. I just thought that was interesting. Yeah. It is interesting. Hmm. So you gonna sell? If somebody offered me twelve hundred dollars, I'd sell it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, All right. That's funny. Like, I don't think I would. Uh, the only way that I would sell it by, like, okay, I want to sell this, and starting to see, like, hey, you need some X Men comics. Which ones do you need? Here's what I have. You know, would be if I just decided that I completely didn't want to have comics anymore. Mm-hmm. which wouldn't be the same as not reading comics anymore. But like, if I was just like, I, I don't need to have these short boxes of comics. And if I sold, I would be a hundred percent done. Cause I have like ebbed and flowed a couple of times for different reasons. Like the next time would definitely be because I just didn't want to do it anymore. And then that'd be it. But then I, I know you like a year or two later, you'd be like, man, I wish I had collected some comics. I'm going to start collecting comics again. <laughs> Now, the times I've sold before were for different reasons. Like, I had reasons where, like, the money was helpful in a way, so, like, okay. it balanced that out. That's where it's, like, now I'm not trying to – like, if I had if I had to sell them again, then it would be something unexpected and, you know, more desperate nature. Whereas in the past, it's been, like, uh, you know, we're trying to buy a house. Gotcha. So selling okay. my comics, like, gave us extra money to help us, like, keep on building up towards that, you know? Mm-hmm. Things like that. So, yeah, and I, I've come and gone a couple of times with comics, and uh, at a certain point, it's like if, if you let it go again, you know, you're just done. And then if I let it go again, the next time I'll just be done. Because I've also backed off more on like, I mean, it's just X Men now. I'm not collecting Ninja Turtles, you know, and I'm not interested in buying new issues of stuff like very much. I mean, the only thing that uh, that I'm I've set up a way to get is the bad idea stuff. And that's mm-hmm. more because the creators involved in that are ones that I enjoy enough to want to check out this thing. And I know that the only way to check it out is to do it by setting up getting the issues because of how they have everything structured. And it's also a very slow trickle of stuff, too, which kind of works out. It's not a very heavy investment in terms of money to get all those. It's yeah. just the difficulty is finding them, apparently. Yeah, pretty much. And that's where I set up with a shop that I went to in California. And um, it's like he has ENIAC number one for me. And then I messaged him. And he's like, well, do you want to wait until what's the, I think the next one that comes out is Tinkers. It's like yeah, that I comes so. out in a couple mm-hmm. of weeks. I was like, oh, yeah, actually, I, I didn't. I thought the next comic was coming out next month. So I was like, we'll just ship me this one. And then, you know, like we'll do it once a month kind of a thing. It's oh, like, cool. well, do you want to mm-hmm. wait for that? I was like, yeah, I could wait for that. That way it's, you know, not shipping twice. Yeah, so, I don't know. Somebody wants to buy my X-Men comics for a large chunk of money, I'll be done collecting comics altogether. You might be able to sell that ENIAC one for more than that, (laughs) the way things are going. I haven't checked recently, but the day they came out, people were trying to sell them on eBay for huge amounts. I mean, they were selling for, like, 100 bucks. That was, like, sold listings for ENIAC number one. It's just crazy. You know, and that's going to come down to earth, too. Um, I don't know, man. I, I do you remember the the legends of the geomancer thing with uh with valiant yeah that's different man i think that i think that that's different 
I, I think any act number one, the, any act number one is going to retain. And I think that's why uh, bad idea is doing what they're doing is they tried things when it was them running valiant that were trying to create this value that would be sustainable in comics. Sure. Yeah. But the problem was, is it was, it was all based on, on current hype. Like the, the legends, of the geomancer books, like you had to, they were a high number variant for book of death. And they did that because they wanted comic shops to have this big footmark of book of death books in their stores. I went through all kinds of work to get those legends of the geomancer book. Um, I made a deal with my comic shop where he ordered enough to get them. Mm-hmm. I paid enough for the Geomancer books to to where he had no risk of loss, but he also wasn't taking advantage of me by charging me a much much higher cost. So it was like kind of a he worked with me, and it was like there's no risk to him, and he has these books to sell, kind of a Got deal. Uh huh. Those books aren't worth shit. <laughs> well, yeah, but that, I really think that that's different, right? It that's, is very different. Yeah, Indiac number different. one. It's it's the number one. You know, it's it's the first by this publisher. It's you know. The way that they're making it available is legitimately limited. And I think that that's why they're doing it this way is to create. And so a big difference like with this and that is they're direct distributing, right? Mm-hmm. It's it's not not like Valiant was doing where it's still through Diamond. The only other like thing I can relate to with direct distribution is um, TMNT. I want to say it's volume four, which is the one where it's Peter Laird, like, retained the rights to publish a certain amount of Ninja Turtle comics a year, and those are direct distribution. And they cost 10 bucks each because it's direct distribution. And they also have a pretty good value now because of they're limited, you know, because they were direct distributed and there was only so many made and all that kind of stuff. So I think that that's kind of bad idea. Like, they're, they're... doing direct distribution except you're not paying 10 bucks a book you're paying four dollars a book right yeah well, i mean that's not always the case because some of their books like they have one coming up that's going to be a, a very large size book but the dollar value is matching the page value right yeah so i think it's interesting like i've seen so many different reactions to what they're doing and i, I think it's interesting and i'm like i'm not a hundred percent crazily all in where i'm like if this works out where i set up to get them through this comic shop cool if it doesn't work out Whatever, I you know, wash my hands of it. I'm I, that's fine. You'll be able to get the not first print very easily. Yeah, those are not a rare book. It's really only the first print that is a rare book. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting. It's going to be interesting to see how it works out. But everybody's reactions, like some people are pissed about everything. Some people are just all enthusiastic about it. Well, I think that people who are pissed are looking at it from a fan perspective and from a fan perspective. Yeah. It's a difficult book to get. And that kind of stinks, right? I look at it more of just appreciating what they're doing and trying to look at it as like, okay, is what they're doing interesting? Cause I went through it. I went through it really briefly when that hero tree book came out, that was the secret book they sent to shops without telling them what it was or anything. And then surprise, uh, this is a thousand dollar book that we sent you. Uh, that you threw away, you know, and I tried to get one and I was really frustrated with it. And I was like, man, why are they making it so hard for me to get their comic book? And then I realized, hey, you know what, what this means is this isn't for me. That's really what this is. Like they're not making this for fans to get a story. They're making this to create a collectible to 
push their name. And in that way, it was successful. And when I realized, okay, this product isn't really intended for me, that it helped me come to terms with that. And I think that there's it's easy to have that disconnect of wanting something to be for you, but it not really actually being published with the intention of being something for uh, for certain people. And I, I don't know. I guess it's it's not right for me to say what's for people and what's for not right it's like who am i to to say what's for who and what what isn't for who that's that's kind of silly of me i think well no but i mean your your point is is valid it's just like sports card collecting like i love i mean we'll just use kobe bryant as the example i love kobe bryant i would love to get a bunch of his stuff getting some rare kobe bryant cards at this point is absolutely not for me because i can't afford that it doesn't mean that like something is wrong with card collecting or with you know, what the, the companies that make cards are doing or anything like that. It's just the value is too high for me. Like that's, I, I can't roll in that, you know, in that area. Um, you have to find the way that things work for you. And I think with, with comic books, there's such a reliance on making people want all of something to where they get it. But now as, especially like right now with the, the way the collectibles market is going because of, of, covid it's not reasonable for people that aren't like you know big money rollers to be able to like have this mentality of, i'm I'm gonna get everything and that's possible because yeah. it's just like things are growing too much but you know like if you have one of the books that was worth jack a month ago that is now worth hundreds of dollars Guess what? You can sell a book that was worth nothing for a hundreds of dollars right now. It's it's a weird time, and I think that um, the definitions of the way people define how they approach things is like they have to choose how to shift it to suit what they actually want now. And like I know for me, if I had um, it, West Coast Avengers, there's a book that's going crazy right now, right? Like that's what I keep on seeing on Twitter, and like I don't oh know any yeah. Of them, so. mm-hmm. So it, for me, if I was like, okay, I had, uh, you know, a short box of West Coast Avengers that I didn't give two craps about recently because it's just like I collected all the comics that I had any interest in. And whenever I buy a comic, it just stays in my collection. If I start realizing that I have these comics that had no value to me other than just like, hey, I collected them and like I like having a big collection. Well, maybe now is a good time to start redefining how I feel about that and say, okay, let me sell these books that I don't really care about and now i have this money that i can use to get this other thing that i do care more about you know and and build a a more defined collection in a different way for some people maybe they want to just build up everything you know and that's everybody's going to be different with what they want to do some people will be ecstatic to have a a book that was worth a dollar that's now worth a hundred dollars and just be able to have that and say like hey i got this book that's worth a hundred dollars like the way i would question myself is okay well what about if this book in, you know, three years when things change and people can go out and spend money doing things outside in the world and the collectibles market, you know, comes back down to earth to some extent, am I going to be still happy with this book when it's worth a dollar again or worth five bucks instead of a hundred dollars? It's, you know, it's always kind of judging where you're at with stuff. Like when I was collecting sports cards heavily before where I was getting a little bit higher in stuff that now like is way outside of my realm of possibility. I bought a Colin Kaepernick autograph rookie card for $20. When he started becoming a starter and then he was a big star for a while, that card got up to being worth $200. Mm-hmm. 
when I decided to start selling my card collection, once again, because we were working on buying a house, I sold that card for, I think, a little over $100, which is much lower than I could have sold it for if I sold it at the Pinnacle. But when mm-hmm. it was at the Pinnacle, I wanted to own it. And when I wanted to sell it, like it, it wasn't because I was like, oh, no, the price is falling. Let me sell it. It's because I just decided that I, I didn't want to collect cards anymore, and I wanted to sell these cards to have money to help us with buying a house. Well, it sounds like the old adage, collect what you like. And yeah. then you'll never be upset with your collection. Exactly. Yeah. And it's like now I'm in the place with sports cards where like I can't I can't possibly go out and buy a box of cards that I would have bought before. Because before the the stuff that was like medium end uh, hobby boxes where it's like you get more like autographs or whatever in the box, they were on like the upper edge of what I could, you know, reasonably occasionally save up to buy because it was like maybe $150, $200 for a box of cards. Mm-hmm. And that's really pushing it. So it's like I have to really make sure that's what I want to do. Well, now those boxes are like $500 boxes. And there's like, nope, that's way outside of the realm of possibility. Like, I, I can't do it. It wouldn't be enjoyable to me to do at this point. So now I'm just collecting differently. And um, and I, I took my son down to the sports card shop a month ago, maybe a few weeks ago. And... I ended up getting a lot of cards I really liked out of his quarter or not his quarter, his dime bins of cards. Cause now it's like, there's, there's a lot of really cool cards that are just like, they're not worth them spending the time on because all the money is in this higher end stuff. So I got all these really cool cards that I was very happy with. Um, I spent 15 bucks and got a whole bunch of cards and I was way happier than when I was trying to find packs of cards and I would spend a bunch, I spend more money on a pack of cards and get nothing in the pack. So, you know, it's, it's, you got to kind of like always be willing to redefine and make sure you're, I think that's what happens is we, we get used to like, we're collecting what we're collecting and we stop thinking about, is it what we want or not? This day and age of collecting and how just how much money is getting involved in collecting. I think it's, uh, it's good to continue to think about what we really want to collect. And, you know, I, I see a lot of friends doing that too. Um, like another friend who's been really into collecting the X-Men was collecting a lot of stuff, and now he's questioning what he really wants to collect. I think that's the right thing to do. And I think some people see that, and uh, they don't want to have to question their collection, so then they start to, um, you know, want to poke fun at people that are trying to ask those questions. But everybody's got to figure out what's right for them, what they want to do. There's no right or wrong way to collect. I think that's <sighs> the Exactly. All right, well, I think that that's a good place to wrap this up, huh? Yeah, you know, you you can go make some weird noises of your own now. Oh, yes, thank you. Yes. Well, I've been doing that for the last hour with you, so. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, if you're listening to this, you probably know where to find more of these episodes on the Apple Podcast or the Stitchers or the Startifies or Spotify or whatever's, you know. Starterfy is my favorite. <laughs> Starterfy, yeah. Go listen on Starterfy and enjoy what there is to listen to from our ramblings. Oh, and next time we talk, so I have something I'm looking forward to tonight. Okay. Uh, the, the AEW pay-per-views tonight, wrestling. Uh, there, I'm going to see my first ever uh, exploding barbed wire death match tonight. That sounds, so does the barbed wire explode? It's so, so I've never seen a match like this, um, but it's, uh, from what I saw them them post on Twitter, Three sides of the ring, the ropes are going to have barbed wire on them. If you touch that barbed wire, it's going to trigger an explosion on that side of the ring. 
the outside of the ring, three sides of the floor are going to be covered in barbed wire and or maybe not covered in barbed wire. Um, explosives around three sides of the floor. So if you get thrown out on the floor on three sides of the ring, there's going to be explosions. I have uh. no idea what to expect. Like I, uh. I've heard of these types of matches. I've never really watched this type of match. And it's interesting because AEW is um, like, you know, has gotten very big very quickly. They're like the competitor to, to WWE and they um they only have a like a pay-per-view every like 3 or 4 months, so like their pay-per-views are much better cuz they're not oversaturating everything. You know, my cousin's a huge wrestling fan, which is why I'm able to like peripherally enjoy it a lot without having to be as huge of a fan. Um okay. but yeah, like we're getting a few people together and all chipping in to get the pay-per-view and it's kind of cool to do that, you know. 12 bucks tonight and I get to watch uh, people explode in barbed wire. Cool. All right. Well, I, I expect a full report. I was going to say, we'll talk about that next time. But anyways. Cool. All right. We'll talk later. Bye. Bye.